0: night
1: ha huh? good night
2: margaret
0: hello and welcome to a damn fine podcast to the show that is analyzing twin peaks from our rewatch which seems like years ago even though it was earlier this year uh to the the episodes that we're doing now uh immediately following the airing of a part of Twin Peaks Ron Richards and I break things down with a guest how are you Ron
1: I'm I'm doing well Tom I'm I'm reeling from this ep uh, part 15 is a two scream episode I screamed twice during it so <laughs> a
0: two scream episode two uh excellent we should start rating all of them on screams uh, go back and And check that out. I'm, I'm of course, Tom Merritt. And joining us today is Ken Denmead, owner and publisher of
2: GeekDad.com and the Geek Dad books. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Ken. I am. I am like, like there's an electrical charge running through me right now. This was an amazing episode.
0: (laughs) Episode.
1: The the, oh. the the little the little static uh, electricity noise just is running through, continuing yes. after the episode was, into the podcast. It was everywhere. <laughs> Actually, the
0: first note, the first note in my notes today is the Rancho Roso logo and sound is starting to make me smile now. Yes. Like I'm, I'm starting to have a Pavlovian response.
1: <laughs> well, it's well, it's funny because I remember I, I remember even going back to the original Twin Peaks with the Lynch Frost production end title mm-hmm. card that had it was you know st- uh, strobe mm-hmm. light and static or whatever, and now yep. Rancher Rosa, yep. you know kind of a good bookend. Oh. <laughs> well, uh,
0: Ken, let's let's start by finding out a little bit about your Twin Peaks history before we get into talking about part fifteen. Uh, when did did you watch it from the beginning? Did you get into it later? How did it start for you?
2: I was a, I was a peaky back in college. First run, I, uh, me and some of my buddies at, at college uh, would would definitely watch it every single week, and and got a little bit obsessive about it. I did see Fire Walk with Me in the movie theaters. Nice. I was mildly disappointed that there wasn't more Cooper or more <laughs> Chris Isaac in that, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and uh, and so it was interesting when when they said the the new series was going to happen. My wife had seen a little bit of it, but uh, hadn't been in anywhere near as intense as uh, as I had been back in the day. I convinced her to uh, rewatch everything before the new the new uh, series came up, so we were literally binging through the entire first two seasons leading up to this. She got totally hooked too, and now we are just you know week to week biting our teeth and just, oh, when's the next one on? What's going to happen? So it's, it's I, so much uh, fun. I, I'm
0: pleased that finally there's another person uh, who's a guest on our show who wasn't sneaking downstairs and avoiding their parents to, to watch no. Twin Peaks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but that does date me a little bit, so uh, I'll take it to the bad.
0: I feel in better company now, but th- so, so you re-watched it, uh, You rewatched it recently, and you watched it at the beginning. Had you watched it at all in
2: between those? I had not. That's what's mm. crazy. I had not, but it was so familiar and so it was like warm and comforting when mm. I when I came back to it and enjoyable dribble and you know the the new series it you know because the original was on network television so while it was weird and a little bit dark at times it was doing that within the confines of what was allowable on primetime television and what they're doing on Showtime now this is like fulfilling the ultimate peak fans. Just greatest greatest yeah, dreams. Yeah, this you is get the so sense,
1: yeah, you get the sense that this is unfiltered. This is like you imagine if Twin Peaks originally was on Showtime back in nineteen ninety and ninety one, right right, like what, what it could have been. Although I kinda like the you know, the constraints network T V gave it at the time, like um, but you, this is just, you know, with, with language and, and the level of violence, but this like it never feels off here. It just feels exactly like it's clicking into place, right?
2: Exactly. It's like you're seeing it without the filters. Yeah. But you know it. Uh, it's so good, and and of course I, I did. Uh, I have read the Secret History as well. In fact, I'm I'm going back and re-listening to the Secret History now, most of the way through this, just so I can remind myself and recatch and maybe catch some new stuff. Um, just aha uh, uh, so good. Yeah. So
0: so, so suffice to say, you're pleased with the return.
2: It sounds like. Eh, you know, I'm just yeah, it, it's so good. Uh, I'll, I'll keep gushing. I can't. I can't. I can't gush much more. Well, I, I
0: assume, Ron, we we need to ask our regular yes. questions about. Well, and I'm term. pro
1: Dougie.
2: <laughs> You're pro Dougie.
1: All right. It's pro good. Dougie. All right. So so now so now why are you pro Dougie? <laughs> I
2: am pro Dougie because I, cause, well I went you know I went through the annoyance phase. I did go through the transition after after about two or three episodes. But <clears> when I got you know I, I think I got it pretty quickly that, that we're not going to get him until the end. And what we're seeing is a very. slow slow journey back and obviously when we get to talk about what happened in this this week's episode i i think we're closer than ever and 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 just having drawing us through this whole journey and and having him in the state that he's in affect people the way he has through this journey is so rich and so interesting i i'm 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 all in i have been saying for a while now that i believed Part
0: 16 would be when we saw Agent Cooper back and today's events seem to, you know, lead lead to to that being a possibility. But I also have been saying that there's a larger structure going on where Lynch is withholding us from what we want and and building tension. And then and then when when we give up. He's giving us something. And with Dougie, it's, it's mm. been a tease. It's like, oh, when we give up, he gives you coffee and cherry pie. But it's not quite what you wanted. I think the opening scenes yes. in today's episode, first of all, felt like a classic. Uh, this This is Twin Peaks, the original returning. But also... Was a beautiful example in miniature of that bait and switch, where he's like, "Well, you're not going to get what you want." Oh, guess what? Yes, you are.
1: No, no, I know. And I totally had the same thought. And that was my my. We're we're getting close to talking about the episode, but that was my kind of scream moment, my first scream moment. And I thought that, and then by the episode ended, I thought, "Oh man, Lynch and Frost aren't going to sh- show their hand that early or quickly." And now I'm worried we're not going to get what we want.
0: That's exactly what he did to you with Norma and Ed. I mean, let's go. I know, Let's go start talking about this. All right. Uh, uh, so so you are you saying you're worried you're not going to get what you want from Cooper or you think something's going to disrupt Norma and Ed
1: no 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 I think I think so so in the opening scenes we see Nadine inspired by Dr. Amp and Dr. Slash Dr. Jacoby uh, walking through the streets of Twin Peaks with her golden shovel gets to Big Ed's gas farm releases Ed from her you know says Ed you've been wonderful you've been a saint you've stuck with me but you're in love with her go to her I release you and so Ed goes to the diner long story we can talk about the nuance of the actual scene but long story started start. ed and norma kissing together i screamed very happy and i agree with you i think that it was them saying you know they're not you know this is what you want but we got to take this journey to get there right and so it could be them tipping their hand but then i also feel like this is going to give us a false sense of security that we will get what we want from cooper because because now we think oh it's okay the last three episodes are just going to be great everything's going to tie up and we're going to get what we want and i don't think it's that easy
2: <laughs> oh, well, um, Ken, what do you, where do you stand here? <laughs> well, and, and, the, you know, the bigger picture structure, I, I mean, I, I think in miniature, you can look at this as the way they tease, you know, I, I, first of all, we've been waiting for this for 25 years. We all hoped when this, when the show restarted again, that they would be together and they weren't, and we yeah. were all devastated by that. And so now... You know, 15 episodes in, it it finally happened. But the way it happens, again, he goes in there, he's ready to talk to her and say everything, and she puts him aside because Walt's there. And we all think, oh, no, what's going on? You know, oh, Walt, he's really not that cool. And uh, when it comes down to it, yes, he's a little bit of a jerk. And he he wasn't overtly a a real, real jerk, but he was jerk-like. In he the was, way he responded to her, he and was not
1: right, he was not right for Norma, and I think we all knew that. from No, there, yeah. yeah what, what, what I also what I also liked is that when when Ed you know makes his march into the diner and with the great soundtrack with the great song playing right uh, you know mm-hmm. the, the music and Ed does his march and he he walks in the door and he's looking for Norma and he does that gawky Big Ed hand wave right. It was almost a mirror of the scene at the end of season two. Yes right yep. when we and yep. we all thought we all thought that they were together at that point and then it only gets crashed because he, he walks up to her and says, you know, Nadine, Nadine, let me go. Let's be together. And she goes, oh, I had Walter's here. And for Mo- and then I like the roller coaster. I was crushed because I was like, no. <laughs> so I'm. I'm oh, glad. and I
0: was like, cold. Norma. Yeah. So cold.
1: <laughs> just go sit down. My God. <laughs> but I, yeah, I was delighted that it ended the scene ended up playing the way it would with with Nad- with Norma, uh, you know, kind of uh, bailing from the franchise deal. Uh, which now the whole franchise deal explains why Norma's been sitting in that booth with all those paperwork. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And as
0: soon as she said, I need to take care of my family, and Walter's yeah. like, what family? I was like, oh, she's going back to Ed. Yeah. That's when my hopes started to uh, get back up, because I'm like, the only family I know that the Norma had was Hank. Or <laughs> He's long or or, gone. Or, or, for a moment, or, I thought... It, like, every, we gonna...
1: everyone around her, I think. And her sister, well, f- yeah. I was going to say, for a moment, yeah. I thought, like, are we going to see Annie? But, <laughs> so...
0: Yeah, presumably Annie's not in shape. With us anymore, probably. we don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But uh, I don't know.
0: There, there was something about that tipping off that she meant Ed.
1: But I, 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 no. I literally when when, uh, you know, and also the other thing that was great was that. So when she kind of d- tells Ed, Walter's here and Ed kind of deflates and sits down and has a cup of coffee and asks for a side of cyanide. Um, and then Ed kind of knowing that David Lynch is into transcendental meditation. Um, Ed sits at the counter and just closes his eyes and starts breathing and mm. almost meditating and i and i and and there's just something really serene about everett mcgill in that pose and sitting there and just kind of like channeling you know like i took my shot and it's not going to go how, this is how this is how Big Ed deals with it like that was really cool and yeah. and then to have that moment broken up after Norma you know kicks Walter to the curb and then she just comes into frame behind him with her hands on his shoulders and the smile on his face and then they kiss and Shelly watches it and then they're, they kiss and there's they break away from the kiss and they're smiling looking at each other I like I could have pressed stop and be done for tonight with just what this, and then, then there's see. music
2: reverberating yeah. through the mountains and into the sky and for that moment, the world was perfect.
1: Yes. Yeah. Like I seriously, seriously thought about just turning the show off and like, nope, this is good. But yeah. that is not all they had to start store for us. Yeah, and and no, I got to say
2: between, I, I'm sorry, I, between the, the scene with Nadine and this one, I thought Everett McGill was just amazing in these two scenes, knowing that knowing that as an actor, he, you know, before this came up, he had been away and not acting for what a decade or more. Yep. And and this was just beautiful and wonderful. And and I have to say, a couple a couple of weeks ago, as I was you know watching and thinking about this stuff, I was going back and thinking about my my David Lynch, of you know everything that I've seen by Lynch. And and I you know actually go back to Dune, which I know a lot. He doesn't like having you know what his experience on Dune, David Lynch stuff. But now I sort of in my head go, wait a minute, Everett McGill was Stilgar in Dune mm-hmm. too, and I just it's just like my my brain took a little turn you know it it changed dimensions for a second and just tying everything together so in 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 deme- different dimension this is Stilgar. <laughs> I don't know a different that's, dude that's, dimension. A dude I think everything. I think everything David Lynch has ever done is connected in in different dimensions.
1: Well, hey, that's what yeah. that's that's what a lot of Lynch fans want you to believe, and and there's going to be a hint, <laughs> there's a hint to that later in this episode. But yeah, but, yes. uh, who knows? Uh, you might be onto something there. But but seriously, I mean, like you know, this is the first ten minutes of the show, and they could have seriously just rolled the credits of them kissing, and I would have been fine. Yep. yep. But
0: from <laughs> from the moment Nadine walked on the screen to the kiss, this is classic Twin Peaks. And then when they cut to the black and white-ish look at the road, I wrote, back to reality. It really (laughs) felt like we were leaving the dreamland uh, and returning to, to the electrical universe that we've been inhabiting for most of the return. And uh, there we get to see Mr. C at the convenience store. Threnody again in the soundtrack. Ha- uh, so goes- th-
1: This is the second time I screamed when Mr. C pulled up and I saw he was pulling up to the con- the actual convenience store. <laughs> like I, I screamed. I screamed.
0: He goes upstairs above the convenience store. I presume this is where Mike and Bob lived. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: And which, uh, which, and sol- which
1: solves the question because a lot of people have been saying, how can they be in a room above the convenience store when it looks like it's a one-story building and we've been looking at, at it at, at different angles and there's a staircase on the side, but it doesn't look like it goes anywhere. But they showed us that answer as well, too.
0: Turns out mm-hmm. it does go somewhere. It does go it goes somewhere. goes yeah. Philip Jeffries' room, and Philip Jeffries is now a, a steam. Tank.
1: Well, we got we got our answer as to what they, how they're going to show Jeffries without showing Bowie.
0: Yeah, and uh, they had a different credit for the Philip Jeffries voice, uh, but they also credited David Bowie because, of course, we see him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Mr. C led back to room number eight. Woman in a nightgown opens up the room for him, and and Jeffries talks to him out of the uh, out of that steam machine uh, about Judy, and Mr. C seems pretty agitated about not knowing who Judy is.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, but he's met Judy before.
1: So, yeah, so that's somebody that's in it. Yeah, that, yeah that, that kind of was spooky. Also, this 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 uh, bell, the steam thing looks a lot like the the the, the bell that the fireman or the giant yeah. turned off in part eight. Right. So although without the steam arm sticking out of it, but the three little uh, kind of things coming out of the top of it. Uh, very similar in structure, which is which is similar to the supposed Nazi Germany time machines, time machine bells. <laughs> and it looked
0: like uh, when Philip Jeffries said, let me write it down for you, there were some coordinates came out. I'm yeah. going to guess those coordinates are Twin Peaks.
1: I'm, yeah, I, yes. I, didn't, I actually didn't write them down because I couldn't, couldn't quickly grab a piece of paper, but it was like – I saw it was like 48. Um, five, five, and, like, and then five yeah. or 55
2: yeah. and then some – yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, so backing up though, yeah. So here, yeah, it's uh, forty-eight, fifty-five, and then I think there's a one in there as well too. Mm -hmm. Yep, Um, that's right. Yeah, but um, the the room where Philip Jeffries is—that's the motel that they found Mike in in season one, right? When Andy's gun went off by mistake.
0: It certainly is close enough. It looks that I it I'll, I'll believe it's meant to be. If it's not exactly yeah, the same, it, one. Looks yeah. l-
1: it looks a lot like that location, that same motel location where remember when they found uh, the one arm mm-hmm. man in the motel and Andy's gun went off and right. Cooper hey. got all mad. Or, yeah, remember that? Like, like it's the same shot. It's the same building. Like that was very similar. I thought. I, yeah, I think it's. I think it's meant to be the same place.
0: Now somehow Richard Horn was able to follow Mr. C here, and uh, when when Mr. C gets transported by telephone to the front of the convenience store, there is Richard Horn, uh, who in the course of the conversation admits that he is in fact Audrey's son. Yep, confirmed. So that's there to meet Dad. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, And now, yeah, he and Possible Dad are headed out on a road trip to Vegas.
1: Well, we don't know about that. So so a couple of things about this. One, first off, and and then, of course, after they drive away, the convenience store uh, kind of smokes its way out of existence. And right? become
2: sycamores. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So phase so, shift away.
1: So I kind of love the teleportation aspect of the convenience store and all this sort of stuff. <clears> like, <throat> so you know, so you know, Mr. C and the trash hobo walking up the stairs and they they kind of faded out and then they appeared back in the room with the with the floral wallpaper, you know. And another trash hobo when he says he wants to see Philip Jeffries, another trash hobo like pulled a lever and got all staticky, and they walked through a room that was like fading in from a hallway to the woods. Right, and then he walks yep. through another door, and then he's outside in a motel, and he goes to the motel, has the conversation with Jeffries, and then the phone rings, and he picks up the phone, and then he's back at the phone booth at the convenience store. Like the the time and space implications of the convenience store, I find fa- I don't understand any of it, but I find fascinating by it. Um, yeah, it was the the
2: second stairway that he had to go up? Once he was inside, he goes up another stairway that yep. then comes out at the hotel. That stairway we've seen before. We've yes. seen. Yeah, we've seen the, the sooty men on the stairway through one of the portals.
1: That's yeah, that's what Gordon Cole saw when he was at the he was at the right. location that Hastings had. Um, so you got to wonder if there's different spots in the world that lead to different parts of the Black Lodge, um, and then the convenience store kind of you know uh, uh, appears where it needs to be. Uh, you yeah, know, this, it,
0: the, it felt felt like it was beaming out at yeah. the end with all the electrical flashes.
1: Which, because for a moment, I thought, I'm like, oh, is he? Did he drive to New Mexico? And this is the original convenience store. But mm-hmm. that explains it. Um, but yep. then, but then we go back. You know, Tom, we've been talking a lot about time shifting and what's going on. And in, in, in this, so after he, you know, after Richard Horn confronts him with the gun, and and Mr. C takes him down, and then tells him to get in the car, he stops and he texts Las Vegas question mark. Was this the text that Diane got two, two or three episodes ago?
0: Oh, okay. I, I'll have to. No, no, no. You know what? This is a failure in my my attention. Yeah. I assumed he was writing Las Vegas as a directional thing. Oh on
1: a, no, on no, a, that was a text. Yes. That that was absolutely it was a text. It was another text. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think it's a follow up. I think you know we saw him. The, the first text about Las Vegas was: Have they asked about Las Vegas yet?
1: Ah, and that was right. the one
2: he did from the that that not the farm farm right. And so this is a follow-up to that. So I'm assuming that next week we'll see her get this question.
0: Right. And, of course, uh, you know, we we could talk about this uh, out of order. Uh, we, we get a brief look at Vegas uh, where Chantel no. shows up and kills Whoa. everyone in Vegas. So um, he he may be following up on that, which now we know we we'll find out later in the episode happened. Hang, That's, hang right. That's been taken care of.
1: Hang on. I, w- I just went back and looked, and the original text that Diane got said – was just Las Vegas question mark, which is exactly what he sent tonight. And really? then, Di- mm. yeah, then Diane wrote back. They haven't asked yet.
2: So, oh, I got it mixed up. You're yeah, right.
1: so I think this is the moment that he sent that text. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Yes. But so. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Oh, good catch. No, good catch. That's a good. That's, yeah.
0: a good uh, that's a good good syncing up of, of the timelines because i don't pay attention to the how the timelines work out and you know which how i obs- think is to your benefit in yeah. this where unless unless you're in a t- in a particular track i don't think they're meant to be happening exactly at the same time
1: right and yeah. you know how obsessed i am with the time with the with what happens in the timing <laughs> yeah <laughs> but before so, but, but before before we go to las vegas we get we do get another twin peaks interlude and, and uh, in yes. the in the in the woods <laughs>
0: That's true. Yeah. Uh, Boston Terrier is walking through the woods and uh, Gersten Hayward and uh, Steven are having a very upsetting makeout session because Stephen <laughs> wants to shoot himself in the head. Uh, Boston Terrier guy, of course, ends up uh, interrupting them. And, and all we hear is a shot. We don't know if Steven actually shot himself or not. At first, I wasn't sure if maybe he shot the Boston Terrier guy, but then he shows up and talks to Carl Rod uh, at the end of this scene. So he made it out okay.
1: This, yeah. this is the only point in this episode, like, I do not care about Steven, you know, and like, the guy, the guy is slimy, he's, dr- you know, drug addled, you know, I'm slightly concerned about Gersten Hayward here, but like, this whole scene, I found myself just kind of like, eye rolling, and like, oh, come on, get over with, like, this, this, does, this, this part, this plot line, and until we see it tie in, but right now, it feels like it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah, well, it, it's just continuing uh, upping the ante on whatever the drug thing is that's going on, and maybe we'll get something out of that.
0: I guess. Yes, it ties into Shelley. It yeah. ties into the drug yeah. thing, which I, I was hoping we'd have a little more along those lines by now. Uh, but it's it's going to play a part. But I get that I get what you're saying, Ron. Is I didn't care too much whether Stephen shot himself in the head, and I should yeah, I no. should yeah. care more about that. Uh, I'm more I cared more about Gersten Hayward mostly because we haven't gotten much from her except a brief stairwell glimpse so it was it was like oh good alicia witt (laughs) gets to actually have a scene yeah you know i was excited about that
1: and it was just like a lot of the dialogue was just weird, too. Him saying over that he's a high school graduate and that she, she, she telling him you were, you were stoned and then the whole gun stuff. It's just like I, I just don't get the connection. The only thing I can take away from this is either it's tied to the drug thing, that's whatever's going on with the, with the drooling zombies or whatnot. Or if you notice, Gersten Hayward has a net, necklace with an old-timey key around it. And I'm wondering <laughs> if that key is something. But yeah. Uh, th- but the thing is, there's n- I've got nothing to hold on to with this scene to make. I'll tell me you think- what to
0: hold on to, Ron. I'll yeah. tell you what. Carl Rods coming to the rescue. True. Here. Yeah. Carl, <laughs>
1: Carl. Carl is very concerned about that trouble tra- t- uh, trailer. That's for sure.
0: He's gonna be out in that woods next thing you know it. So <laughs> I think he'll be very happy when we the- <laughs> see the scene next.
1: Well, my my worry was that I was like, oh god, don't have something happen to Carl. Like oh. Oh, I oh, know, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 So,
0: but. uh, then we go to the roadhouse early, which is odd, uh, but there's not a band they're They're doing some kind of weird playlist thing where they just play a song in this case, sharp dressed man by ZZ top. And actually this is another example, Ron, of what you're talking about, where we get a scene where you're like, I don't know that I care about this. And then we find out, Oh, not, it's not just James, you know, us finding out that, Oh, here's James with a crush on a girl. He can't attain again. Cause Renee's married. But it follows up on our English gentleman with the
2: uh, powerful fist because <laughs> he gets to use it. Yes. The green glove takes care of everything. <laughs> I mean... You know, was, but I you know, have to say, I was desperately hoping we were going to see ZZ Top come out and play.
1: For a moment, I thought we were, by the way, too. Uh, like, yeah, with, the, yeah. with, the, with the horrible, really so the horrible too, yeah. hand, hand-drawn volume sign on the stage, <laughs> or the and the MC turns <laughs> it all the way up past 10, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, but for... But, for, for a moment, I, you know, I was really taken by James, like something just seems off with him, you know, like he just seems too simple with all this. And we know how simple James was back in the day, I guess. But just, yeah. the, you know, but it's been a while since we've seen a fist fight at the roadhouse. So I guess that was good to go, to revisit that as well, too. <laughs>
0: And we want James back in prison again. You know, yeah. that's a good, that's a good <laughs> nostalgia move, right?
1: Well, that, that's what I thought. I thought later. So later in the episode, when when the green-gloved uh, uh British guy and James are put in the jail by D- Deputy Hawk and Deputy Briggs, I was like, oh, we've been here before with Bobby and James in jail.
2: Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering it, whether we're going to get uh, w- whether we're going to get him together with the eyeless girl. That yeah. there's going to be some empathy there, yeah. and that there's going to be communication. Mm-hmm. I mm.
1: Maybe.
0: Yeah, no, we we definitely have a, a a a Bobby making barking sounds sort of feel to everyone yelling and repeating and shattering like a monkey. Yep. Uh, then we go to Randall Headley, uh, who has uh, is about to meet Dougie, Janie, and the kids, and then of course uh, Randall Headley, who we now know yells a lot, uh, <laughs> realizes when there's
1: kids, this is the wrong Dougie. You you I get this Tom, I get the sense that uh, Agent Headley is one of your favorite new characters.
0: I no. No. <laughs> oh, the angriest <laughs> little
1: That's, FBI agent.
0: Yeah. I'm fascinated with him, I think. <laughs> I don't know if I would use the word favorite. <laughs>
1: But it's just I, uh, the, the ineptitude of the of the Vegas FBI office that they can't find Dougie and, and Janie E. And how many Janie E's are in Vegas, by the way? <laughs> well, and we
0: know Gordon knows that Dougie is in Vegas and and presumably is on his way.
1: Because he told them to fall.
0: round them up, and he yeah. would he would he would be he would be there. So I'm guessing Gordon will will fix all this when he arrives. Yeah. Uh, then of course uh, Roger called into the office by the storyteller. Uh, I can't can't remember his name now off the top of my head, uh, but Chantel shoots him and orders some fries. And then we get a lovely scene after James in the prison, uh, scene of, of Hutch and Chantel in the car, having some fries, talking about burgers, talking about killing,
2: talking about torturing. It's a true love story. I I wrote down the happiest psycho killers in the world. (laughs) Oh, they are. They really are. And, and remember Mars.
1: Yes. Oh right, and they're astronomers yeah. too.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. but I
2: wonder I thought, what they're doing for the eclipse.
1: Th- yes. <laughs> I thought it was an important point that when Chantal left and called um, called Tim Roth to let her know that she was done, she said one down, one to go. Oh right. Yeah. So, so. what's
2: the other one? Is it Anthony? Uh,
1: uh, maybe I, I don't know. Is the, the insurance agent? Yeah. Is it well,
2: it, but, but is there a or direct connection between Anthony and and Mr. C? Because that was a, I think that was. He Anthony was was connected to the guy who was just killed. I don't think there was a direct connection between Anthony and Mister C. That's what my thought too is. Yeah,
1: like Anthony was Anthony was a tool of that guy, right?
2: Yeah, I'm thinking it's Dougie and just going straight after Dougie.
1: Yeah, I think it's Dougie.
0: So, Uh, speaking of Dougie, uh, we get Dougie eating some chocolate cake again, uh, (laughs) and then significantly makes voluntary movements. This is where David Lynch has gotten me because he's a genius. I was very excited when Dougie moved a salt shaker because (laughs) no one else had moved a
2: salt shaker. No one made him move a salt shaker. He just decided to do that on his own. I was wondering whether the salt shaker looked a little bit like the steampunk bell as well.
1: I thought the same too, and then my also thought was that when they were next to each other, they were like two. They were kind of like uh, two peaks or twin peaks next to one Mm -hmm. another. But then he separated them, and then we we got what felt like an eternity of Dougie eating this cake. And I'm watching it intently, looking for any movement or anything, which just then reminded me, just sit back and enjoy the show. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no. In in Dougie terms, this wasn't that long, to be honest. Uh, And he starts punching on the remote. And as soon as he starts doing that, I realize, oh, he's going to turn something on. I wonder what it's going
2: to be. I'm trying to read the numbers that he's pushing, but that didn't
0: work. (laughs) Oh, smart. Uh, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be a news report or something. But no, it's Sunset Boulevard. Bingo. Where they mention Gordon Cole, which is the inspiration for the name Gordon Cole, which is freaking (laughs) brilliant. It all comes Uh, full circle. And then that snaps Dougie into something.
1: Yep. Well, he well that's the thing is that like we've we've what well, well, I thought was historical. We all know that Gordon Cole is named after the character in Sunset Boulevard, and there's long been you know Mulholland Drive is often talked about you know a a loose connection to Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. right? And but like if you look at the the text of that of the scene, I watch it with the closed captioning, it is, it is the scene opens up with them saying we'll have the old team back together. The old team again, you know, like ah. that kind of thing. And then, you know, like and that kind of gets him to look at it. And it ends with the character saying, get Gordon Cole. And that causes Dougie to freak out and want to stop it and presses pause as opposed to stop or, or turns it off. <laughs> and that leads him to then look to the uh, electrical outlet, which is now making a buzz. So, Tom, we're talking about getting Cooper back. Right. What, what is your prediction?
0: My prediction is we get Cooper back in part 16, which is next week's episode. And of course, Dougie crawls over, sticks his fork in the light socket. Kids, don't try this at home. uh, And shorts out all the power in the house. I'm thinking that he has enough of Cooper jogged by the name Gordon Cole, and like you're saying, get the team back together, that he pays attention to the light socket. Remember, he came out of the light socket and realizes that he needs to make a connection there to jog back the rest of him. Uh, And whether it's the the, the orb that we're talking about that needs to be reinstated in him or whatever, that the next scene we see is going to be him waking up as Cooper.
1: So that's your prediction. Feels like it. Yeah. Really feels like it. So, so yeah, we, we, when he wakes up off the floor smoldering, uh, he's gonna be back in in place. I I don't know if it's that simple, but I I agree that we're getting closer.
0: I yeah, I, d- I don't think he wakes up and says like
1: oh, oh. well uh,
0: I'm on the case. <laughs> you know I I think there'll be a little confusion, but it'll be Cooper
2: confusion, not Dougie confusion. Right. I'm. I'm picturing in my mind he gets taken to the hospital, and that's where Gordon and the gang are going to find him.
0: Mm. Maybe. And then he wakes up in the hospital. Maybe. And then Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole. That's a good call.
2: Yeah. Maybe.
0: Maybe. Maybe.
1: Yeah. Uh, um. Lots of electricity, enough to make the the house be bright, like you <laughs> bright light, and then turn darkness, and we get Sonny Jim off camera saying, "Mom, what was that?" So Sunny. Yeah. Sonny Jim's involved. I don't know. We'll see. No
0: what do you as think Ron? You, do, you, do you have any uh any predictions
1: i i i think i mean it's as good i mean the gordon cole thing and the reaction it got from him i think we're getting closer we're getting closer it, it would be great if it's next episode i i hope you're right I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be bold enough to make a prediction because i don't know what the hell <laughs> you don't want to be burned again <laughs> yeah, i understand exactly. i
0: fully understand
1: <laughs> uh well then
0: we transitioned into the saddest damn scene oh, of twin peaks oh the return my yet. goodness so that was not fair uh, we've had several scenes where the log lady calls Hawk, and we know that Catherine Coulson shot these uh, bef- long before production began uh, and before she died. And in this scene, she's telling Hawk that she, Margaret, is dying uh, and talks about fear, says goodnight to Hawk, and then after hanging up, Hawk says goodbye, Margaret. The, the end of the episode, the credits in memory of Margaret Lanterman. I yeah. mean... Ah, just well, well, well done, David Lynch. What a lovely goodbye!
2: What a what a way to do that for any person. That was just beautiful. That was beautiful. And and so yeah. All right. So, Hawk, my my log is turning gold, Uh, and the wind is moaning. I'm dying. (laughs) Oh, uh, but we need to remember. Watch out for that one. The one I told you. The one under the moon on Blue Pine Mountain. What 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 is that?
1: Yeah, I don't know what that is. Um,
0: and the next scene shows a moon, but it's not Blue Pine Mountain. Um, but uh, so yeah. they're just-
1: I, I want to go back to her log turning gold. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right? So if her log is turning gold and her log was thought to be the spirit of her husband, right, and we've seen mm-hmm. gold in the form of a gold orb, you know, with mm-hmm. Dougie, is there something related there? I don't, I don't know. I'm just I'm. I'm. – I'm – brain I'm 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 riffing here but the, the, that's a very specific thing to say my log is turning gold yeah yeah and you know, it's cuz
2: gold tends to be is is more symbolic of good it seems to me whereas the yellow is the Garmin bozio which is the evil or or you know it's, it's yeah. more it's like the sick version of gold is the evil but the true gold is good yeah something um,
1: and yeah. then, and then a little bit of geography. Uh, so the Twin Peaks, the two mountains of Twin Peaks, are Whitetail Mountain on the left and Blue Pine Mountain on the right. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that is, that is, and Blue Pine Mountain is the one that is closest to the Packard Sawmill, you know, and and uh, and where Cooper and Briggs uh, had their campsite. You know, like that's where all that sort of stuff kind of happens. So.
0: Now, this this next scene. Okay, first of all. There, we, we go through watching Catherine Coulson, who is dying, playing a character confronting her own death, yeah. which is just uh, gut-wrenching. crazy, crazy yeah. gut wrenching. Absolutely. Uh, then we go to Hawk calling Andy and Lucy and Sheriff Truman sort of happening to be in the conference room already looking at fish <laughs> uh, to tell them that Margaret has passed away to announce to them that she's gone. We actually get music behind the scene, which is, you know, something that is notable in this season. And then we cut to the lights going out in the cabin. Like, you know, after we've had the goodbye from Margaret, then, and, and I think about the placement of like, here are original characters. Here are the ones who really knew Margaret Mm -hmm. slash Catherine. Uh, And Sheriff Truman already in there because well sheriff truman knew margaret but not the sheriff truman but we got to have sheriff truman there and so it, he, he's already there so that he doesn't enter the room it's just there's there's something about all of this that i don't think this scene in particular uh has anything to do with anything else and i don't care it's just lovely
2: yeah absolutely and uh did now did anyone else notice mm-hmm. i thought the shot of Andy standing behind Lucy as they talked about it. That was the vision of Lucy in that sweater that we saw that Andy saw when he was in his other space last week. I,
1: I did I did look for that, and I don't want to I don't want to uh, sh- shit on it, but it's a different sweater. It really is. It wow. is a, it is a different sweater. The, the sweater she was wearing in that of, in that scene was like a, a beige, like a white or a beige base with stuff on it. And um, this was like a red base, because I, I, I had the same thought. I'm like, is this the vision? But I don't think it is. But close though. Looking, okay. Looking for it every time. It's a know? fake out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted. I also wanted to just bring up because it's only it's only tangential. But now that um, Margaret is gone, Carl is the only one left who, according to the secret history of Twin Peaks, was an abductee back in the fifties right. when they were in elementary school and disappeared in the woods on a hike.
0: Right. That could solve your problem,
2: Ron. If he goes out into
0: those woods to save, you know, or or to check on Steven, uh, that could be only, that could be meant to lead Carl back into something.
1: Maybe. Yeah, could be.
0: Interesting. Then we finish up uh, with Audrey Literally on the threshold, Charlie uses those words. Here you are on the threshold. On the threshold of what? (laughs) The threshold of the door. But
1: (laughs) is is it a door? Just a door in this case? I don't know. She, She doesn't seem like she can leave that house, though.
0: No, she has a real problem leaving that house. And then she gets real mad at Charlie about it. Yeah. And she talks about how much she hates Charlie. I mean, honestly, nothing new in this scene other than us knowing she's actually Richard's mother. Uh, but I, I didn't glean any revelatory clues other than using that phrase on the threshold, which made me think, well, if she is about to wake up from something, that, that is the phrasing you would use. Yeah, or on the yeah. threshold of a psychological
2: breakthrough, that would be also a phrase you would use. Well, but Aunt, was there something in the fact that that she goes through this this phraseology where she's she's saying I'm seeing you as a different person now right you know it she it, she seems mm-hmm. to have this this awakening where she can she's she can tell that he's not who she thought he was in some way so I'm wondering whether or not you know she's even been seeing what she wants to see and as she gets closer to the threshold she's starting to see things more realistically and and they're making her scared or angry as well
1: Potentially, I, I you know I don't know what to make of it. I mean, the, the, my biggest takeaway has been uh, how great um, Clark Middleton as Charlie has been doing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and with the, you know, like Audrey, my coat is on. We're gonna leave. Put your coat on, please. You know, like this, and he followed
0: like, through. He said, "I'm gonna yeah. take this coat off," and yep. then he's
1: like, Darren, coat's coming off." And there's something about the cadence of the of his language and his lines and the way he's delivering them and the deliberateness of them. And I think that that kind of ties with what we're talking, what you're talking about here, is that. This it's it's something about the way he's saying the things to her that is leading her to whatever that reaction it is or whatnot. But I still don't know. Like what something
0: it. a patient therapist or caregiver might say to someone who is, yeah. is like delusional. Yeah, potentially.
2: There, there's some she, she's in a coma and and there's some David Lynchian weird technology that is beaming her therapist's. Of uh, 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 you know questions and and motivations to her while she's in the coma, and it's sort of like VR, and we're gonna get this weird explanation, and then yeah, she's gonna wake up. Yeah. It's mostly steam driven too.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: well, and then we finish up
0: uh, with the Veils uh, and their song Axolotl. I had a crawling girl who gets removed from her booth. She tells them she's waiting for someone, and then she starts screaming.
1: And that's, Char- and that's Charlene Yee, who I'm a big fan of. She's, she's uh, been in indie movies, indie filmmaker, um, and is also an actress. She's been in a bunch of movies with uh, a bunch of Michael Sarah, like that kind of crowd. Um, I think she's great, and I recognized her immediately from this. And her character, according to the credits, is named Ruby. And why she crawls on the floor and then starts screaming at the end, I have no idea. But uh, I I, I like seeing her. That's an actress I I enjoy. I enjoy her work. (laughs)
0: All right, let's uh, head on down to the roadhouse because we've got... Oh, sorry. Yes, Ron.
1: One thing, as I'm looking at the credits as we're talking here, I realized and noticed that we had Mark Frost cameo in this episode.
0: Oh, yeah. I noticed that too, but I couldn't place which character he was supposed to have been. So
1: this is interesting. Um, He's credited as Cyril Pons, who... True, true Twin Peaks fans will remember Cyril Pons was Mark Frost's cameo in the original series as a TV reporter uh, in the background on TV during while the show kind of uh, went through. And my guess is that he was the hiking uh, Boston Terrier uh, guy in the woods. Ah, uh, Cyril
0: Pons was taking yeah. a hike. There yeah, we go. There that is, would make so. sense. And that kind of looks like him now yeah. that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So
2: I, looking- I thought the hiker was dressed like one of the sooty men. I was confused for a minute at, at the start of that scene, too. I thought it was one of the one of the dark men. But that yeah. nah, turned
1: out not to really. be. It was weird. Yeah. Well, the
2: woodsmen do dress like residents of the Pacific
0: Northwest, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, true. I mean, That's there, there is
1: there is a theory that the that the that the trash hobos or the woodsmen or whatever are. The deceased lumberjacks from the Great Fire in the early 1900s, I think, in Twin Peaks, right? Oh, so right, right. The, there, there were – I believe there were eight deceased lumberjacks in that fire. And, the, and if you stop the, in, in part eight, if you pause all the trash hobos walking around the convenience store, there are eight of them. And they all look like lumberjacks. So say what you will. All right. Anything I'm a else about this? And I'm not
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are not okay. Anything else about this episode before
1: we head on down to the roadhouse? What? What, what overall? What did, I'm curious what you guys thought? I mean, I mean, I, I mean, we've had a couple of episodes that were like, oh my god, mind blowing, whatever. I mean, was Big Ed and Norma enough to give this episode that 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 stature, or did the rest of the episode carry through as far as you're concerned? Uh,
2: Super duper loved Big Ed and Norma. That was that just. Thank goodness that has finally happened. Uh, uh, Margaret was heartbreaking, but uh, you know, knowing what we knew beforehand that the actress had passed away, it was you know, we were sort of waiting to see how they yeah. were going to do that. This was the most beautiful, the most heartbreaking way that you could send off a friend when you're able to do it in a show that you're making. So, I mean, that's just the highest level of respect to to David and and Mr. Frost for doing it this way. That was just wonderful. And all, I mean, yeah. I, and we got, you know, Dougie <laughs> shocking himself and we're that close to getting Coop back. So this was, as far as I'm concerned, an excellent episode. All
1: right, Tom. This
0: episode feel? made me feel as if every part up until now was prologue. Uh, that the, this, this is where the wheels have finally caught the road and we're starting to to move uh, because there was almost nothing that wasn't that, that that wasn't answering or moving something forward. You know, there was, you know, the girl crawling and screaming is is new. Maybe it's not even meant to go anywhere. Maybe it's just set dressing and a chance to give her a, a really cool and interesting part. Maybe it will tie in. Uh, but but every, there, there's very little fat in this episode. There's a lot of meat.
1: Yeah, my and my only complaint. I, I I agree. I think this is a great episode. I screamed twice. It gave me what we wanted and all that sort of stuff. My only complaint is the scene in the woods with with Mark Frost, uh, <laughs> with with the uh, with with with, with Stephen uh, and Gerstein. But uh, but other than that, this is this is a solid solid episode. And even that
0: scene is not new. It's not new information. It's taking something we've already seen. It's just not taking it very far right uh, so so it's, it's a little fatty you're right and, and, you and that's the thing
1: I mean and a lot of I mean it's been funny because a lot of the a, a lot of the criticism we've received on this podcast Tom if you if I can be so bold has been that we are too tied up on plot development and and to you know just let the characters be and let the you know kind of care you know this let the story flow and all that sort of stuff you know like we're looking for too much of a linear plot which I don't necessarily agree with I actually I'm a big fan of nonlinear plots and I'm a big fan of just like if that scene with Dougie was just him eating cake for too Minutes, I would have been very, very happy. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but the thing is, is that we're in a position where we're looking for things to drive to a payoff, and and I can't help but break down every scene and figure out, okay, we wh- we got a big jigsaw puzzle. Where does this piece fit? And every part of this episode, I can find where that piece fits, except that scene. Yet, yeah, and that's yeah,
0: yeah. You know, and that's a lot of a lot of scenes. Th- now felt frustrating earlier. Yeah, or a lot of scenes that felt frustrating earlier now do not feel frustrating because we see why we had to have them.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. All
2: right. I'm still wondering what is it about party, Steven that 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 two very wonderful uh, women uh, have fallen in love with him, and one you know cheats on one with the other, and, and all of a sudden what, he's such a slimeball. Why? Yeah. Why do they even like him? I that's a, that's a good question. I, I was asking myself. special and, and what is the of, fall of Gersten? So <laughs> he's
0: a victim of addiction, uh, and and these 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 people think that they can help him, and they can't. Yeah.
1: He and needs I just professional help. Why, why Doc Hayward isn't worried about Gersten? I just want to, you know, like you know, come on, Doc. Seriously, right, yeah. Doc?
0: <laughs> you know, maybe he's tried First and he's got to the band, point man. where yeah, know, he just, he just up? can't. Yeah.
1: yeah. Hey,
2: wait, he's calling on my other Skype line. Let's ask him. <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, Shall we move on down to the roadhouse then? Let's do it. Barnaby writes, Hey, damn fine podcast. I've been following your show since the premiere of The Return, and I love hearing your theories and pointing out the neat Easter eggs I might have missed the night before. It makes me appreciate what Lynch and Frost are doing this season even more. In the most recent episode, meaning part Fourteen. Uh, last week's episode, the scene at the roadhouse really stood out to me, specifically the reaction of the girl interrogating Tina's daughter. She looked depressed or even disappointed after asking who her mother was. I found it strange that she would ask the question in the first place, seeing as these girls seem to be friends. What if, and bear with me here, Audrey is not in a co- coma, nor is she in Twin Peaks or a television set? What if she is taking refuge in one of the lodges? after having been raped by Mr. C. That might explain the contract that she made, why she is having trouble going back to places in Twin Peaks, and now what if her going to the roadhouse isn't physical? What if she's allowed to possess... Residents of Twin Peaks, a la Bob, as a way of keeping in touch with the world she left. She did remark that she no longer knows who she is anymore. If she is able to possess residents of Twin Peaks, it might explain why one girl would ask, who is your mother? She wants to know who her offspring is and who the father of her child may be. This would also make sense of the then upset face she makes when she realizes Billy was sleeping with Tina, too. Hmm.
1: And he ends it with, "Is this theory too far-fetched?"
0: Well, yeah. Okay, I, I figured that was that was an obvious question. What uh, but- you <laughs> I
1: I don't know. It's tough. I don't know what to make of the Audrey stuff. I if if Audrey is something more magical or mystical, a la Bob and all stuff like that, I feel like that should have been teased or referenced earlier. It's the the late yeah, edition there's no of no setup for it exactly. The late edition of Audrey really confuses me. Um, So, you know, uh, Barnaby's guess is as good as anybody's, I think.
0: What if Audrey's in a lodge? I'm not sure about the possessing people in the roadhouse. That is interesting, and it would
2: explain the the weird who's your mother thing. But, Ken, what do you think? I think wherever Audrey is, is too well interior designed to be one of the lodges. (laughs) That's true.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. totally set designed. It looks
2: Maybe the, the, Dick Tremaine is in the lodge, too.
1: <laughs> the fireman, oh, there you go. The fireman's location is very well-designed, too, albeit in black and white and from another right. time, but it is very well-designed. Art Deco. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. real
0: nice.
1: Um, real, real quickly, though, uh, we, for, we failed to mention, Tom, last episode, and or, or, you know, Eagle Eye missed out on. In that scene in the roadhouse, the character Sophie, who was, um, who was uh, asking all the questions, was played by Emily Stolfel, who is actually David Lynch's wife.
0: Oh, very so, nice. Yeah, I, I don't I, think of it as failing to mention. We just didn't it. mention it until pulled, now.
1: Yeah, I missed it. I I didn't. I, I went back and looked in the credits. I don't know how I, I, I missed that, but I missed it. So, my bad.
0: <laughs> but, on to the email from Adam, who says, I was wondering if the reveal that a part of Bob lives on in Sarah Palmer, uh, which that smile, may or may not be Bob, is a wink to the older discussions between Cooper and Truman. Cooper believed Bob was an evil spirit, while Truman believed Bob was the evil men do. Is this a meeting in the middle that Bob was someone Leland knew as a child because of this contact? He infected Laura and Sarah and eventually Cooper and his son. Bob is not an individual, but a contagion. Both Cooper and Truman's original points still stand. Only now, Bob is a curse passed on through abusive relationships or the real-world problems that violence brings more violence. Lynch seems to like telling stories, though metaphor and Twin Peaks is allowing him to explore the horrible consequences of real-world actions through the lens of demonic possession. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, waving in my love for Twin Peaks. wavering, Wavering. Wavering. Wavering in my love for Twin Peaks. But now, I really feel we are on target for a triumphant return. Can't
1: wait for these last few episodes. The, the idea of Bob as the force of bad in the world is something I, I am close to subscribing to. Like it, I think he's less of a individual demon that possesses one person and more the representation of the, the shadow of, of, of life.
2: Ken, what do you think? Uh,
1: that's tougher. I mean, you know,
2: story-wise, the way he's been presented has been a... a you know, obviously, a, a wild creature. But the way, you know, what he did with the Cooper doppelganger seems like it has intent, and, and it's hard to separate what Bob from was the doppelganger going to be evil in and of itself when it was created, and there's there's that connection I've still not gotten clear in my head. I are you are you still thinking that
0: Sarah is? Is possessed by Bob, Ron? I,
1: I do. I am not. I know that that okay. was a hotly contested topic, especially in, yeah, her, yeah. in the damn fine slack. A lot of conversation this past week over who that smile was when, when Sarah revealed her face. And also, in retrospect, I feel, I feel like we, I, I, I failed and we failed to. I, I remember we, we touched on it light, lightly, but the last person we saw to take their face off like that was Laura earlier in, in, in the return. Right, yeah. So no, we mentioned that. Did we, we that, mention that? Oh, yeah. I couldn't yeah. remember if we mentioned mm-hmm. that or not. But anyway, yeah, we did. Um, um, I I firmly believe that it was Bob. It, 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 that the smile and the shadow that I saw. Um, I, that that's my belief. I because it's the only explanation I can think from her having that kind of reaction or power, and the the ceiling fan being on. Like all all signs pointed to that for me. Do you, what about you, Tom? I, you, ag- you, I
2: agree with that.
1: Yeah. Tom, how I, do you feel about?
0: Uh, I am still leaning towards your belief that that she is somehow touched by Bob or infested by Bob or influenced by Bob. I, I still can't bring myself to think of Bob as being able to be in more than one person. I'm still convinced that Bob's in Cooper. Uh, the smile isn't clearly Bob's, but it isn't clearly anybody else's either. And it's right. so suggestive of Bob's smile that even if it isn't his smile, I don't know who else it would supposed to be. Some people have said it looks like Laura to them, but Laura in, in possessing Sarah, I don't think would manifest like that unless it was Laura's doppelganger. Um so so yeah, I I think I think she's like a Bob Minion or something like that.
1: I don't know, man. I don't know what I don't know what to believe. And we got we got what now we got three. And that would
0: be that would make it like that would make it consistent with Laura taking off her face is that Laura also was touched by Bob, was influenced by Bob. And and so I no, think I think there's Laura, an even stronger think, connection with Sarah.
1: Laura Laura only I feel as if Laura only channeled or touched Bob that moment with Harold in Fire Walk with me. But all other signs of Laura was that she never let Bob in, ultimately leading to the, the, the train car where she defeated him or she or didn't defeat him, but she avoid you know, the angel helped her and she she, she didn't get Well, But in the
0: waiting she, room she, in the waiting room she was still vulnerable to Bob.
1: Yeah, possibly. And there is a an evil Laura doppelganger in there. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I go back to, man, I don't know what to believe. I, we got three, yeah, right? three more parts to this, and, and, and I I firmly – I hope that we get some answers and f- figure some stuff out, but I also do not expect that to happen, uh, and I will be happy with whatever we get, but I, I don't know what to believe, man.
2: <laughs> there are going to we'll- be PhD dissertations written about this show oh, for oh, generations. for years.
0: Yeah,
1: agreed. Yeah. Many of them. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we only have two more weeks. Three more I, parts, two more weeks. It's crazy. Oh. It's crazy. How did this happen, Ron? I don't know. <laughs> Who let this happen? <laughs> uh, well, uh, folks, uh, comment on this episode at damnfinepodcast.com or feedback at damnfinepodcast.com or the really fun Part for the next couple weeks is going to be in our Slack, uh, and you can gain access to that by backing us at a certain level at patreoncom slash podcast. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at DamFineCast, Facebook at
2: Facebook.com/slash/DamFinePodcast. Ken Denmead, a pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much. I was happy to be here. It's so good to be able to vent all this positive lynchian spleen and talk about it with with people of the same. Ilk as myself. We're
1: just all now, we're all as obsessed as each other are. Like we're <laughs> all like literally. This consumes at least several hours a day of thinking thought time for me. So it's, this is so geek fodder of the highest episode. degree. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, if people want to follow your geek dad stuff or anything else you're doing, where should they go? Uh, the prime website is geekdad.com. Also geekmom.com. Uh, you can follow myself at Ken Denmead on Twitter um, and at Geek Dads on Twitter and so on and so forth. I hope you'll enjoy. Uh, it's all content for geeky parents written by geeky parents uh, and um, we have a lot of fun with it. Thanks for listening to a damn
0: fine podcast. Tune in next time for part 16. Mm. No oh. knocks, no doorbell. I'm Tom.
1: I'm Ron.